Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 105 of Yoga Land. On today's episode, I speak to Ai Kubo. Ai has a very multifaceted career that she has created for herself. She's a yoga teacher. She's a cancer epidemiologist, and I ask her to explain exactly what that means. She has a master's in public health in nutritional and cancer epidemiology and a BS in nutrition. So she's also a nutritionist. I is working on several studies that incorporate mindfulness and that are studying the benefits of mindfulness, both in cancer patients and also in pregnant women. And so that's what we talk about today. I also got to ask her, you know, what her takeaways are when it comes to nutrition and cancer, because she studied that for many years too. And her answer kind of surprised me. Ultimately, it was a very heartening answer, and I think it's just a great reminder for all of us, and I'm just going to leave it as a cliffhanger there. I always love talking to people who are in public life using their yoga background and their mindfulness background to kind of nudge us all in the direction of gaining benefits from these practices, so it was really a pleasure to talk to I today. Before we get to the interview, I just want to remind you that iTunes reviews and ratings are super helpful to the podcast. So if you are enjoying it, that's one way that you can support the podcast. It helps move up the ranking of the podcast so other people can find it more easily. Thanks so much. Enjoy the interview. Thanks so much for being here and for, you know, being in our glamorous studio today. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to meet you in person. I remember you from Yoga Journal and from being on the cover of Yoga Journal. And I feel like I've probably interacted with, with your husband, Mark, as well. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, 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 over the years. So you have such an interesting educational background. You are certified and practicing. You teach yoga. You also have a master's in public health in nutritional and cancer epidemiology. Mm -hmm. So let's start. I, I definitely want to talk about some of the studies that you're working on. So I would love it if you could t tell us exactly what an epidemiologist is. Yeah. A lot of people ask if it's a skin disease and it's not the epidermis. <laughs> <laughs> epidemiology is a field within public health. Um, and we are basically trying to figure out how, how we get diseases. So we tend to look for risk factors for certain diseases. And once you get the disease, what we can do to prevent, you know, like say if in, in cancer, we try to find out how to improve outcomes with a goal that we can create some kind of prevention, preventive strategies so people don't get these diseases. And within epidemiology, there are many kind of, you know, focuses. And I just happen to do cancer, but other people do HIV focus or diabetes or cardiovascular or genetics. So mm -hmm. it's a really broad field. And we focus on humans. So we don't do animal studies. We don't oh, do bench science. So we do a lot of survey type of like data-based um studies and there's a lot of uh, statistical analysis. Do epidemiologists tend to work with large populations? Yes. Like, okay, that's what well, I was... Well, ideally, like we, the bigger the study, the sample size, the bit better the studies. Um, sometimes we do small studies, like the study that I will talk about is a pretty small study. So some people look at pop large population and observe them for a long time mm -hmm. or short time. 
especially in infectious, di infectious diseases, you don't have to observe for a long time. But um, sometimes we do these things called intervention studies or randomized clinical trials, right? Like for these drugs, you, you know the drug trials where you give one group certain drug and the other group is placebo and you follow them up to see which works better. So we do that with not only drugs, but some other type of interventions like meditation or yoga or mm -hmm. you know, diet kind of thing. So, so that's part of epidemiology too. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so fascinating. So when you started in your career, you focused a lot on nutrition and how nutrition affects cancer. Mm. And of course, I have a vested personal interest in yeah. that, but cancer affects many people in our population. So I'm wondering if there are any takeaways from all of those years of studies that you can share with us. Yeah, so that that can be a really long story. Sure. And I believed in nutrition and I came to the United States from Japan just to study nutrition. And when I decided to study epidemiology, it was when I heard this study from some random lecture where they were showing that people from Japan, they migrate to Hawaii. Then they, you know, people from Hawaii come to the United States. The rate of breast cancer went up like wow. so much, right? So I was like so certain that it was all about diet. Mm. I was like, this is it. This is what I'm going to study. I want to know why this is happening. And I'm 100% sure that it's all because of the diet, right? So I studied nutrition and I studied nutritional epidemiology and I've looked into, you know, different diet causing different kind of cancer kind of literature and I've done, I've done my own studies too. And eventually I've realized after 10 years of doing it, the conclusion was completely opposite from what I thought I would make uh, like 15 years ago where I do believe in certain kind of diet. And so my principle, just to answer your question, in my own diet is that I eat a lot of fresh fruit and vegetables. Mm -hmm. And I believe in organic food. I believe in local, sustainable, seasonal. I, I grow my own vegetables a lot. And I do CSA box you know, from local farm. And, mm -hmm. But I do eat meat too. And I get the meat share from our local farm too. So we know where the food comes from. We do a lot of balanced diet, but I enjoy food. I, I love to cook and I love all kinds of food and even like alcohol. Like I just, I believe in moderation and I decided that I don't want to focus on particular kind of diet or avoid certain things because I don't think, you know, if you look at news, every day you find something and this food is good for you, this food <laughs> is not good for you. And every day, like, you're it's like, oh very my God, confusing. it's really confusing. <laughs> and I think from research, you can pretty much come up with something, you know, anything if you want depending on how you interpret yeah, the data really, right yeah. depending on and if you, you know you can actually look at this huge monogram of carcinogens you know that people study actually you can read this hundreds of pages of a document and it's really confusing right because they're like it's always like inconclusive and it was done in animal studies only or it was done in on like cell studies only and it's like you never know like you can never study human nutrition i don't think I cannot tell anybody what I eat on a regular basis because it changes all the time. And, you know, last year's diet is different from this year, right? Like, and how can you assess the quality of food? You know, you're, I mean, we probably eat similar way, but eating organic versus not eating organic might be very different, but nobody studies that, for example. Like, mm. I have not seen people studying, oh, eating organic is better than not eating organic, right? Nobody asks those questions. We don't know the amount of pesticide or how it's grown. And so I kind of decided that nutrition is a really difficult thing to study. And also, like, having thought, I think about cancer all the time because of my mm -hmm. work, but I 
became cancer epidemiologist just because I'm really interested in cancer. We, you know, we had family you know, members with cancer, and I'm really interested in understanding why people get cancer. It's the most mysterious disease to me. It's so mysterious. Right? I, don't, I don't understand it, and nobody understands it. People still don't understand it. Right? Yeah. And what, what I know is that, so anyways, go, go, sorry, going back to your question, like I have decided that um, to maintain good lifestyle, it's not just about diet, but I am now focusing more on other components. And this is when I decided to teach my mindfulness cleanse because I really wanted to teach people about balanced lifestyle rather than really focus on Sometimes people become neurotic about diet, right? Yeah. And it's almost unhealthy to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I will just end there. And if you want to talk about my other one, we can talk about it. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. so interesting. So so you have a program that you do both live and online. And mm-hmm. It's like a mindfulness cleanse. Cleanse. Yeah. Okay. And so it's both nutritionally focused, but then also bringing in a mindfulness and lifestyle? Or right. How do like you, it's, yeah. it's all components. Um, you want me to talk about sure, that? Sure, sure. So this also comes from me thinking a lot about cancer. Um, did you did you know that cancer cells are always happening in the body? Yeah, right. You know that, right? I, mm-hmm. But mo- most people don't know this. So cancer is, you know, it, it causes it's caused by mutations. This mutation not always happening in our body. You just hope the cells die, right? Or our body has this immune system to fix these mistakes, mm-hmm. and it's happening all the time. It is when a body gets tired, right, overburdened by so many, you know, things, it stopped, it's, it, I, my, this is my hypothesis, I don't know if it's true, but, I, you know, immune system, right, like, it's, when it's tired, it cannot do its job. When we are tired, we cannot fix our cold, right? Steve Jobs, when he got cancer, I remember he said something like he believes that his cancer really took over his body. When he was really stressed, when he had both jobs at Pixar and Apple, he Mm. was commuting back and forth between the East Bay and South Bay. And he was like really certain that that's when he was sleep deprived. He was not eating well. He was like, this is when my cancer took over my body and I really believe in because you mm. know when your immune system is low these things that are fixing you cannot really fix for you and then cancer is like okay this is my our turn and it will start to take over the body and so anyways my now focus is to find out how we can give a body a rest to reset right mm. it's like a computer when you keep the computer on for many days it starts to get kind of glitchy yeah you need to turn off to refresh and it can do all this update and it can kind of start fresh the same way like i, I think that we need to give our body a break every once in a while so you can our system can restart reset so that it can have its like maximum you know it can like have this potential capacity to fix mm. itself, right? So with my cleanse, like we are on, we do this like twice a year uh, for three weeks. We focus on diet, really clean diet, and you know, getting rid of caffeine and alcohol and sugar and all sorts of other things that can really burden our liver, you know, our body. And then we do a bunch of other things to make our diet really clean, digestible, so that our immune function can recover. But my focus also is on sleep and activities, stress management and environment, Mm. because it is when we are sleeping that our body recovers, right? We tend to not pay attention to sleep enough, right? Mm -hmm. So many people sleep deprived, so many people too stressed. I think that really affect our health. 
environment, I think you talk about this, like we put so many things on our body and we are eating them, you know, we are consuming them. We don't really realize. So I got rid of all the things on, you know, that I would put on my body that I wouldn't eat, you know, right. so that kind of things that uh, we started to shift our, our awareness. And the muscle, like I think, you know, getting out and do activities, that's also as important. So I'm not not paying attention to diet, but I'm paying more attention it's to other things. more holistic. Yeah, so it's yeah. more holistic. And people, I think this, like having less emphasis on diet can feel a bit like it's a relief for some people. Yeah. Because you know, like it's not fun anymore I when know. you're like worried. <laughs> I'm about in that every, phase. Every yeah. single it's not eating, super like, fun. This might cause me this and this, and so yeah. We then after that, so I do this reset and I eat anything during you know the rest of the time. But when you find it and it, it feels really really good, everybody mm. said it feels amazing. You don't need caffeine. You can wake up with full energy and you feel like your skin gets amazing. Mm-hmm. And you feel light and bright, right? And then when you remember that feeling of having this like amazing capacity that you already had that you forgot, you always go back to it. You know, like I want to feel like that again. So you don't always like. Nobody ever go, goes back, even though I don't I don't preach non-caffeine or non-alcohol or non-bread or anything. I, I pr- preach, like, enjoy everything you want. But people usually take, like, many, many weeks going back to where they started. Mm, right? Then you're much more aware of your energy. Like, you, you know when you're tired more than you should and when you your liver is kind of, you know, feeling like it's not working. You start to feel it. It's really a mindfulness practice. That's Mm. why I call it mindfulness cleanse, because you pay attention to, like, everything you do. And I really like it. That's really smart. Students really love it. Yeah, yeah. So it's, did you say it's three weeks? Three weeks. So we meet at our house three times um, over the weekend. And so one hour or so, I talk a lot about these components in detail. Then one hour, we do hands-on, like kitchen like cooking work mm. we do a lot of fermentation and I show them how to be a fist because we all work like most most people work and it's really hard to cook and shop and think about what's healthy and so I kind of come up with like I'm really busy so I have come up with strategies to do healthy lifestyle without spending a lot of time so I teach those kind of tips in my kitchen yeah so people really like it and yeah. I have now online version too so if people remote they can you know people miss classes right, because it's not always easy to do three weeks in a row so they can watch the video and right. they can join the forum we have this online discussion forum so it's like a support group you know going through together it really helps to have a group mm-hmm, think, mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting when you were saying you know we get so neurotic about food because there's always, there's always something coming out that you shouldn't be doing or shouldn't be eating or some new study. Um, and it's easy to get neurotic. And it reminded me of, um, when my daughter was a baby and she just was never really a great eater. I mean, she was really not even a great nurser, you Mm. know, so she gained weight really slowly and that's really stressful when your baby's little. And so it was just the, the focus was constantly on food. I can remember the um, doctor saying to us, do you sit down and eat with her? And we said, well, yeah, but I, and I kind of admitted, I was like, I mostly just stare at her, you know, because I'm just so <laughs> obsessed with whether or not she's going to eat something. And she was like, eating is a social activity. 
you have to sit down and eat with her. It has to be something where she's enjoying your company and your expressions and your face and what you're talking, talk to each other, talk to her. And, and I'm Italian. And I was like, (laughs) I knew this, you know, this is like, that was such a part of my growing up and, and, and it's true. And so I am on like a fairly restricted low carb diet right now because I have like blood sugar issues, but I do try to still let myself, like if I, you know, it was my birthday recently and I was trying to think, is there anything that's actually worth it? Is there any like splurge that <laughs> I won't just feel like, that wasn't even, right. was, you know, and I remember there's this banana cream pie at Tartine mm, bakery. Have you? Yeah. I love that and so we went out to dinner with Sophia at Delfina. We took her out and we had this like fancy dinner and she was so excited to be at a fancy place. And I kept saying like, we're going to go split this this banana cream pie, we're going to go, we're going to go. And we went and it was sold out. <gasps> and she started to cry. <laughs> She's been dreaming about so it. So sad. And I was actually quite disappointed too, because oh, I don't usually. Too. I would be too. Yeah. But then a few days later, I was driving by with her and I saw there was no line and there was a parking spot. And I'm like, let's go in and get the banana cream pie. And you got it. We, I brought it home. And Jason, who also doesn't usually have sweets, we just all three got our forks and we had the best time. Oh my so, God. So worth it. Yeah, exactly. So, so that makes it. me actually feel good to hear you say that because I am quite neurotic about it at this point. It's just having had cancer and wanting to prevent yeah, any yeah, kind of, of recurrence course. and anything like that. It's nice to hear that the mental, emotional aspect is is still important too, to have that validated. Yeah, yeah. I think some people are so focused on, like, so worried that it's, co- it's causing more stress, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. sometimes I'm like, I don't know which is, will cause cancer more, you right. know? The right. stress of not eating something food. Or, uh, some people just, you know, just they just eat everything and that happiness, you know, when you study those people who live forever, they don't seem to worry anything, right? Yeah, that's And true. some people who are super neurotic tend to just die really early now you never know you never so know yeah even like enjoy while you can <laughs> yeah that's interesting right. yeah so you've incorporated studying mindfulness mm-hmm. more within epidemiology right. and I love the story actually of how you went to the camp and, and oh. met the um, <laughs> Richard Davidson Richard Davidson and Matthew John Tabatzin, and right yeah would you share that with everyone sure um so just backing up so I became yoga teacher as a master's student um, in epidemiology because I was really, really stressed and I had to do something. And uh, I found yoga and I was suffering from severe insomnia and I needed a cure for it. And after having tried everything, I found yoga and I, yoga pretty much cured me. And I loved it so much that I decided to become a teacher right? so that I can spread uh, benefit of yoga to people. And I was uh, also so in love that I wanted to spread this through the world of medicine. And the only way to do that was to get the PhD so that I can do research. So I got into a PhD program at Columbia. And the first year at the at Columbia, I saw this announcement from Mind Life Institute. You know, Mind Life works with Dalai Lama to promote research in contemplative science, like meditation, that how meditation helps, helps people's health, right? So I got accepted to go to this one-week retreat, kind of like it's a scientific retreat where Tibetan monks who work closely with Dalai Lama and neuroscientists like Richard Davidson, John Kabat-Zinn was there. Big name people. Big name people. I was people a, who you're like, I'm not you worthy. Would never, I, <laughs> now I'm like, I cannot believe I went to this thing. 
But those days, mindfulness was such an obscure field that nobody really, like, that's why those people even went, but because nobody did anything like this. So people were like, okay, you know, somebody's interested in studying mindfulness, I will go, and everybody came. So anyways, uh, one of the lunches or something, I was sitting next to Richard Davison, which I still cannot remember, <laughs> uh, I believe, and I said, so... I am a first-year PhD student, and I'm a yoga teacher, and I really want to be studying meditation as a part of my research. What should I do? And he said, don't do anything. <laughs> He's like, don't study mindfulness. Don't study meditation. Don't study yoga for like at least 10 years until you establish yourself as a prominent researcher in something that is very basic, like very accepted, mainstream, mainstream mm-hmm. exactly. So until then, then once you are established, then do your yoga or mindfulness or you know, meditation research on the side, never switch over because this is very risky. And that's what he did. He said, this is what I did. I did something boring for a long time. Then I finally did, I'm doing this and time was right. So everybody talks about him, but he's like, this is a risky business. Don't do it. And a lot of people told me, my PhD advisor told me not to do it. So I was like, okay, this is how the field is. People thought I was so strange to even mention like the mm. word meditation or mindfulness, right? So I did my nutrition. Everybody accepted nutrition, right? Everybody <laughs> can understand what it is. So I did nutrition and cancer for 10 years and I got you know, my career going and then time was right too, because now nobody really gets surprised that somebody studies mindfulness. Right. So just, I think the timing was right. I was established and I started to st- want to do go back to my you know passion of studying yoga, meditation. And I got this small funding to do this first pilot study that I'm sure we will talk about. So that was a interesting So you journey. really persevered. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, I'm glad you circled back around and that you, like you said, that the timing is better now and that you didn't get discouraged by him saying that. No, you. I didn't. Well, I was kind of discouraged. I still kind of kept pushing and on the side, like I found somebody who would study yoga for breast cancer patients near New York. Mm-hmm. And I almost got some kind of work with her then I came back to my advisor and he was like he almost fired me (laughs) yeah it 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 was that kind of culture it's like oh my god if you're gonna study yoga you're out of this program right (laughs) it was not exactly but it was almost like that. it just seemed so far-fetched to them is that kind of why Uh, or yeah there are many also political reasons for it too but yeah it was just the not good move and you know like I'm an Aquarian so I kind of need to go with the flow and I'm good at going with the flow uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like I, I just trusted that time will come but at some point I, I started to also feel kind of this emptiness right like because oh you want to do what you really believe in doing yeah and I even though I believed in nutrition at some point I stopped kind of believing in nutrition Uh so I was like gosh and because there's also less implication like what if I find that this exact food was you know causing cancer like that doesn't exist but if I did right Mm -hmm. usually you know it was the food that you ate 20 years ago and it's done that you know what can you do about it oh right 
rather I do see what you're something. Saying. So I I want something that has implication more right actionable. now. Actionable. Yeah. I can't think of doing something like okay. Once you get cancer, what do you do? I really want to do something like that because that's a question everybody asks,、mm-hmm. right? Like I want to put everybody on this like a super clean cleanse or something like no sugar, like juice. Fast for ten days and see if the tumor will shrink. I would do something like that, but nobody will fund a study sure, like that, right? Sure, sure, sure. I have a feeling that it might do something, but nobody will fund that. Nobody will be interested. So unless I can do a study like that, I don't want to、yeah. do like research of this like long term observation to find so many associations.、Mm-hmm. Like, but could you will find something and that will freak people out?、Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be a cause of. People's stress, right, 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 right.、So、yeah. Anyways, mindfulness is very actionable, and、yeah. I'm really liking it. So you went from Richard Davidson, who's like the preeminent, you know, American scientist who studies mindfulness, telling you don't do this, <laughs> to now studying it, including it in your research, and you work for Kaiser, right? Right. So. I just don't know how these things work. Does that mean that Kaiser helps fund your studies, or do you no, still have to find separate funding? No, that's the thing. Like I、funding? do. So, so this is people always think that when I say I work, I don't ever say I work for Kaiser because、okay. Kaiser doesn't pay me. Okay. I work at Kaiser, which means that I get to <laughs> they use get the benefits the of your data. research exactly.、Okay. But I also get the benefit of using the data. Oh,、They、interesting. Have amazing、okay. data, right? Okay. So mainly, I'm writing grants and get funding from. You know, National Institute of Health.、Um, my, one one of the studies that's going right now is funded by American Cancer、um, Society. So I'm like constantly trying to get funding to do the projects. Kaiser doesn't really like. Sometimes they do give some pilot funding, but not very much. So our salary is usually not funded by Kaiser. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you still have to do that work of、yeah. funding. Yeah. But yeah. you currently have. Five, four studies underway. Four studies, I think, that incorporate mindfulness. Yes.、Oh、my gosh. Okay. So, where do you want to start? I mean, I know that everyone listening is going to want to hear about all of them, <laughs> which you might not well, want to、so、talk let, us through all okay, of them. But... To be fair, okay, let's say one is done, and、okay. that was a paper that was published, so you can read about it. But so, there are three studies. Four studies are cancer. Or maybe I do have five studies. I don't know. <laughs> Losing track of all your children. Yeah, I know exactly. I do have five <laughs> mindfulness studies. Four are cancer. Okay. So I, what I'm trying to do is to like the ideal study is a big trial where you would randomize people into, you know, mindfulness, then some kind of good placebo kind of group, right? So that you can see the. Efficacy or effectiveness of mindfulness, but to do that you need a huge funding for many many years, and I'm not there yet, right? It's like you need to convince NIH to, that you can do this, and you have some good reason to have to do this kind of huge thing. So I have to start. Everybody has to start small. So the study that I finished was it's called pilot study, where I'm just trying to see if cancer patients. So my goal was to see if mindfulness delivered with an app. Which is not the best, you know. If you're talking to meditation teacher, that's not the best. But for me, it was the most convenient, to, convenient way to deliver mindfulness teaching to people who are really sick and busy,、right? so、who've never、sense. done meditation. I'm only talking to people who've never done meditation, right? Because if you're meditating, they can do this at home on their own. Right, right. So right. I want to catch people who don't know how to manage stress, then teach them this ten minute a day of small, easy, bite bite size thing. And so this is for people who are currently undergoing 
cancer treatment, right? They're in the middle, in the process yes. of the so treatment. So for this study, I picked particularly people who are undergoing chemo because okay. chemo tend to have a lot of side effects and they tend to have to go to clinic all the time. They have a lot of waiting time or a lot of infusion time and sickness, you know, nausea and you know, like all sorts of fatigue. So they are a good candidate for not to be able to go to regular classes because Mindfulness-based stress reduction, the John Kabat-Zinn's program is really excellent, but it requires that you go to class two hours a week for eight weeks, class all day of retreat, right? And if you're going to chemo every day, you're already commuting there and back, you're already sitting in the infusion room, you're already seeing your oncologist, you already have so many appointments. I don't know that you want to add. It's right. probably very difficult. It's going to be, yeah. To you don't also have the good image about this being in this hospital either. Right. So, and, you know, it's not free, right? So it's it can be a burden for some people, right? Sure. It can be three, four hundred dollars and not everybody can afford that. And not everybody has, get you know, get, can get the right to get to this place and they're sick, right? Right. So uh, I, saw, I thought it was kind of a you know, out there idea of using an app, but I'm like, no, it shouldn't be all or nothing. It makes so much sense. It's not like, you know, if you cannot do MBSR, you're not eligible to do mindfulness. So I wanted to give them something. So the first study, I wanted to see if it was feasible. Would people appreciate the program like this? Because cancer patients tend to be older, right? So they may have problems with technology. They don't understand the concept of app. I don't know. So I you know how many people own smartphone or how many people, you know, use computer to do this kind of streaming thing. So that was a test to see if people appreciated it. And if they did, if once they joined the study, would they do it? So mm-hmm. that's a kind of like, it's called feasibility, like pilot study. So I did that. It was a few years ago. And um, I published the result where we found that people really loved it. Once people are interested and they start, they loved it because mm. it was like just 10 minutes a day. And people would give, give us all this like feedback, like, oh, my God, it was just 10 minutes a day that I didn't have to think about my cancer. Mm. Or like I started to see what I already have rather than what I was missing. right? Because it happens, like people... In general, human tendencies to go in the past or go in the future, both mm-hmm. of which cause suffering. But I think especially when you get cancer, the first thing is like, what is the mistake that I made? Like, what did I eat? What did I do? You know, um, that creates a lot of suffering and pain uh, to like punish yourself. Like, mm-hmm. I shouldn't have eaten those bacons, you know. <laughs> then, then you worry about the future, you know, like what's going to happen to my family and my job. And, and that also creates a lot of pain. So just train the mind to stay in the moment. Even 10 minutes a day can kind of, you know, have a snowball effect of like, okay, when I'm taking shower, I'm just enjoying this moment, right? right. Like I'm somebody still said, alive. I'm yeah, still I'm here. still alive. Mm-hmm. I'm just seeing the positive side of life can really make a difference. And I think, and I'm also including the caregiver because they tend to be more stressed sometimes and more depressed than the patients themselves, especially when the cancer is more advanced, right? Because they feel that they're losing something mm. and they still have to maintain their job and the kids, you know, child care and it's a huge burden for them, but nobody really pays attention to them, right? right. Everybody goes for the patients and right. caregivers are kind of like doing everything, yet nobody really cares for you. They're like the ultimate space holders, like yeah. holding the space. That's and... a lot of responsibility. Nobody yeah. really teaches us how to do this, right? So there is a huge 
rate, no, no, rate of depression and anxiety among this population. And they, they and actually caregivers tend to even die earlier than oh if you're not caregiving. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's a huge problem. And NIH is finally paying attention to this. So we wanted to include them too, um, because there is research showing that the caregivers' well-being directly affect the patient's well-being, right? Imagine you're being taken care by a depressed person rather than like a uplifting person, I guess, yeah. an effect on you. Like it's we all related. So, so we did that and we found that this is a one-arm study, so we had no comparison group, but over the course of eight weeks, people experienced reduction in distress, like anxiety, and people had improved sleep and the quality of life, you know, general quality of life improved on both caregivers and the patients. And people just generally love the convenience of it. They're like, I could do it anytime. Mm-hmm. I did it while I was in bed. I did it while we were waiting at the you know, oncology clinic. And so that I think was really nice. So that led me to my study, like I got the funding from American Cancer Society, and we are just finishing our second study. It was a randomized study, so we now have a control group, and we are including more than 100 people, a similar kind of patients. And uh, so far, we we don't have the whole data yet, but we are seeing mindfulness. Now I'm measuring mindfulness too. Mindfulness is improving, quality of life is improving, so... Hopefully, I will have more results. Yeah. yeah. So with the, the the first pilot study, how did you create the app or uh, and what kind of meditation technique was it? That the so I did not create. I was going to create an app through like a whole year of trying to figure out how to do this. But I decided to, in, in the end, go with a company called Headspace, which okay. everybody knows Headspace at yeah. this point. It's a really good app. It's really user-friendly and... I think he he has a Tibetan Buddhist background. Yeah, he, but, lived, he lived in a monastery. Yes, he was a monk for a long time, mm-hmm. and he was also a, he's also a cancer survivor. Right. So I thought there was a little connection there. And I've actually tried many different apps. I had a Excel sheet with mm-hmm. all sorts of things, but I thought that Headspace was a most user friendly, and he makes it very secular he doesn't he he doesn't make it sound like it's buddhist or anything like that it's very easy to use everybody understands that he uses this really cute characters and he they use a lot of animation so even the kids love it because it's like easy to understand huh. yeah so i went for it and you can choose from 10 minutes to 15 minutes 20 minutes it's very bite size and so far, it's been working great. And I don't have any conflict of interest in, with Headspace, I should probably say. I'm not being paid by oh, Headspace right, right, to right. do this. Right. right. So okay. I have gone to them saying I wanted to use them. And they, they have a research team, and it's been really great to work with them. That's neat. Yeah. So, yeah, and like you mentioned, I mean, Andy Puttycomb is the founder of Headspace. And having been a cancer survivor himself, I'm sure he would love to see this succeed. Yeah, I I, I would hope so. Actually, so when we started the study, and they they have a bunch of different packs, like uh, programs, like anxiety pack or stress pack or sleep pack, which is really nice because depending on what you're dealing with, you can choose different things like pregnancy. So I said, you guys really need to make a cancer pack because I think if you, I were a cancer patient, I want to hear about this, right? Mm-hmm. Then, and I said, you know, because Andy has this experience, he just has to talk about his own experience, right? Yeah. And they did it within like a few months. So now they have a cancer pack. And wow. so we are using that too. That's awesome. Yeah. So I was 
really impressed. Yeah, that's really impressive. So now you're doing the randomized study, mm-hmm. which means there's a control group. Right. So there's a group that is doing the app mm-hmm. with the quote unquote right. real meditation. Yes, right. And then what are you using for the control group? So control group right now, it's a usual care, which is, you know, just they're not getting anything. What they're getting is we call it the weight. It's really hard to do this, this kind of study because if we say you will get either a mindfulness or nothing. Right. Um, when then they get nothing, they, they were like, I'm going to go get this mindfulness thing. Right. So we say we will give this to you in eight weeks. Okay. So, okay. But you have to wait because it's a research. We need a control group. So we, you have to wait. Right? Got it. Okay. You have to promise that you won't stop. Something like this. Originally, so this whole finding control group can be a whole another podcast. It's a very complicated thing because in order to find the ingredient of mindfulness, it needs to be something that is similar minus mindfulness, right? So ideally, it's an app right. where you would listen for 10 to 20 minutes a day. Some kind of... But it doesn't have any mindfulness or meditation component. So it could be music, it could be a book, right? So it can be many things. We haven't really come up with the best idea option. or option yet. Some, some people use neuro game, like Rumosity or like some, some, you know, like game that makes you really focused right so you feel like you have gotten into this state of flow but mm-hmm. it didn't doesn't really teach you to be mindful in a regular life mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so that i i'm actually thinking something like that but mm-hmm. it's a huge like you you know you can write a book about that like finding control group yeah, and this kind of really yeah it's really challenging so yeah it's a yeah. constant question that we're exploring so it has to, i mean because it's like your your goal has to be so finely tuned because I mean, if you were using luminosity, which sharp, you know, sharpens clarity, so does meditation. So you have to. Exactly. Yeah. Then, you know, sometimes it works too well. Then you end up finding nothing. Then you have to end your research, right? So that's, yeah. there's a risk that like that too. Cause we, use, we thought of using progressive muscle relaxation, but I think it works too well too. Right. Yeah. 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 Like yoga nidra. Yeah, right. no, that will yeah, yeah. right, right. One question I had was, do the cancer study, you know, you have different cancer studies. So are you testing similar principles on different types of cancer or on um, different treat, you know, are people going through different treatment protocols? How do you organize right. that? So, so these two studies that I just mentioned, they are similar population. This is just one arm versus two arm, right? Eventually... I want to do a much larger study with active control group, which is not just usual care, because that's called more, you know, scientifically stronger, right? The other study that I'm about to launch is a um, study that includes metastatic cancer patients. So they are on so-called palliative chemotherapy. So like there are two kinds of chemotherapy. One is curative, like mm-hmm. when you might have a chance to shrink the tumor or get rid of the tumor, it's curative. But once you have no chance, they go into this supportive or palliative chemo, which means that your 
like you, your cancer will never go away, but you're managing the symptoms, right? So we are targeting that group of people, which I think is probably one of the most stressed for time of life, right? Because it's pretty much end of life. It may last for many, many years, or it may last for a few months. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But doctors actually uh, came to me and asked like this, we, we don't know what to do with this population. They're super stressed. They're super anxious. We don't know. We have nothing to offer. So we are going to randomize actually clinics by clinic, like a bunch of clinics. Like we have a bunch of clinics who want to participate and we will put half of them, say like we have 10 clinics, five clinics will get mindfulness program. So anybody who is going through this type of chemotherapy, any type of cancer, as long as they are going through this palliative chemo, they get this. Got it. Five clinics won't get it until much later. We will give it to them eventually after they do all these surveys. So we can see how their quality of life might be affected by mm-hmm. this intervention. Also caregivers, right? Because they also go through death, right? Like usually sometimes the patient die and they, the mindfulness can really help them um, that with the process of loss. Mm-hmm. And I want to see that. Um, so, so that's my next study, uh, which is about to study. Fourth study is also a metastatic cancer patient. That's the one that we are doing at UCSF, uh, but it's focused on colorectal cancer patients. And for this one, we are not using Headspace. We are actually making our own website. We did a bunch of recording of meditation. It's a very like, pretty classic mindfulness-based meditation program where we have made eight-week program on our own and there's a login for a website and we're doing webinar so that people can there have been some people who are requesting more sense of community mm-hmm. and having a teacher figure because mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. they can ask questions which I totally oh, understand that's great. yeah so we have a, like a webinar like leaders who would guide some you know meditation and they can ask you know Q and A session and they can see that other people are doing it. So there's this sense of you know like doing this together and they're on the same boat. They're all having this particular cancer. Yeah. So that that, that might be very different. So I'm really excited that um this is happening. So we are doing this pilot phase. We are just trying to see if this website works and people like it yeah. and what kind of things we can modify. So if it works we will do randomized study and you know, right. it will launch That's into exciting bigger. and it seems like if you have a place where they log in you can also measure that they actually did the program for sure yeah, yeah. and the app too you can do that too oh, okay yeah. okay yeah I, I have to say as a as a cancer survivor there are a lot of groups that you can join and you when you're at the hospital you know you see all these ads for groups and I am like a fairly shy person. I don't think of myself that way anymore, but I realize when I'm invited to a group, it's like the last thing I want to do. (laughs) That's where it kind of rears its head, like a group of strangers sharing the most difficult thing Mm -hmm. in my life. It just, I couldn't do it. Like nothing about it felt appealing at all. And yet I didn't want to always be talking to my family and my friends about things because they can't totally relate and you don't want to burden them. And I've done online message board kind of things and it's super helpful to me. So, I mean, I think that that would must, I would imagine that that's going to be really helpful to people, especially at the metastatic stage, you know, where many people cannot relate to you. And again, you might not want to go and sit in a room and, and just feel that exposed, but online just 
the support, it just feels different. Yeah, I think so too. I've heard people really not liking support group because sometimes the energy, like it, they, they can put you down, bring right? You like down. Bring you yeah. down because some people can be very depressive. And then of course, it's a support group. You're supposed to be supported. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, when you need to be uplifted, mm-hmm. like it's really hard to be the one who has to be doing that job. Yeah, I think some people feel more stressed by going to those things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and like, like you said, sometimes friends tend to go away, you know, because they don't know what to they say. They don't know what to do. Yeah, it's understandable. Yeah. yeah. So I, I really like this, like using the technology to create even greater support mm-hmm. is kind of like mm-hmm. where I want to go. But with more humanness, because right? that's sure. a fine line of how can we keep this sense of community? So the online forum is a really good way. Right. And being able to ask questions of a teacher at a certain time right. or... And log in and then hear and then live hear the teacher answer right. questions or yeah, that seems like it would be really helpful. Yeah. So it sounds like from the results of these pilot studies that this this using technology, using the apps or an online, you know, intranet mm-hmm. kind of thing, it seems like that's the direction you're gonna keep going with your research, that it's worked well enough that or do you think you'll do some other studies where you might do live in person teaching? I might still do live in person kind, depending on the population. Mm-hmm. I have, I'm thinking about like symptom management. Because once you're in a survivor mode, survivorship mode, you, you know, you can go to classes. And you That's can true. Because I do believe that meditation is most effective in a group setting when, you know, we can do this together and there's this energy and yeah. Eventually, I want people to move towards that direction if they, you know, live, you know, they are better from all these cancer symptoms and they can actually do this to have full benefit of meditation. So I'm not uh, excluding other type of intervention. It's just way more costly, right? Because you need these classes and you it doesn't always start. If I have to hire a teacher, it's like very complicated. You have hmm. to find a place and you have to start a certain time and you need to get enough number of people to start the program, right? So it, it's it's a really big undertaking uh, thing. So yeah, it's possible. I haven't, I don't really have anything going right now. I still wanted to do some yoga thing too, because Movement, uh, you know, like there's this yoga has such a multifaceted benefit, right? Like there's movement. Because like, I'm now really looking into breast cancer survivors taking, you know, tamoxifen or aromatase inhibitors who are suffering from all these problems, like side effects of joint pain and insomnia and hot flashes and all these things that yoga have been, you know, has been shown to be beneficial right Mm -hmm. like through movement or through like strengthening you know exercises or through breathing yeah like I feel like something can be done like through meditation but also yoga asana too so I I do still kind of have have this fantasy of like incorporating yoga um, in this population I hope you do because these days most of us are on anti-hormonals for at least 10 years. Yeah, I know. It's a long time. And they are intense. And I think that if I didn't have a previous yoga practice or meditation practice, like I have friends who are on them who don't have these practices. And I notice that they are emotionally much more shaken up by the um, side effects. Like, I don't know, for me, I just... 
first of all, I know how to move. I, I know how to respond to my body's needs. I know that even when I'm fatigued, I'll feel better if I do 30 minutes of something. And I don't know. I just, I view the side effects differently. Like I noticed yeah, that most people stop do. doing things because they are in pain. Yeah. yeah. It's a bummer. And I just, it's like, but even just from a mindfulness perspective, it's like, okay, I have some, you know, like I have more lower back pain than I used to have. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in their life have lower back pain. I just have to, you know, it's kind of, it's like something I'm, I can just accept it more. Right. It's just not, it doesn't get in the way of my happiness as much. Yeah. I that's a you know, result of all this yoga and mindfulness practice, right? Yeah. This acceptance and appreciating what you have. Right. And that's why I'm bringing in mindfulness. So the adherence is being like, is suffering, right? Doctors are like, they don't know what to do because yeah. 50% of the women quit. Stop taking it, yeah. And even though there have been, you know, it's been shown to improve the prognosis so much, people would rather die than, you know, take this medicine. That says, you know, yeah. that tells you something. But there's, there's, there's literally nothing that the doctors can do about this. Like, they might give you opioid. I'm like, great. <laughs> no, I... So a I study know. showing like, you know, 59% of women on this thing, that is not the good solution, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost like, and it's almost like the doctors are so frustrated that there's a little bit of resistance when you tell them about your side effects. Like I've told my doctor about my back pain. He's like, well, I don't know, or weight gain, or my, I'm like, my brain doesn't work the way it used to. And he's like, oh, you're fine. <laughs> Just, you're getting old. Because they can't. I know exactly because they don't have a solution for you. No, so exactly. they just and they want you to stay on it so badly that it would be helpful to give them tools right. to offer to people. That's exactly what know. I'm thinking. Because if I can show this in research, doctors will listen to it, right? Then they're like, "Oh, why don't you try this thing that's been you know, shown to help with your side effects?" So yeah, hopefully. I think they would feel that the, doc- the doctors would feel empowered and like more empathic. You know, I noticed that the fellows who come in to help me are like, they they haven't been doing this for twenty years right, yet. Right. They haven't, so they're like super empathic and compassionate. <laughs> and then like the doctors come in and they're just like, nope, you're fine, <laughs> because they don't. It's just it's they're in a difficult position too. Is my only point. It's just it's hard. I think it's hard for them to feel like they can't address those things in a in a really in a results-oriented way. Right. Yeah. I yeah. asked, I ask actually a lot of doctors, like, what do you tell them? Like, when they come with hot flushes or mm-hmm. pain, they're like, we give them this lifestyle advice. I'm like, what kind of lifestyle <laughs> advice? I'm really curious. And like, we tell them to wear in layers. I'm like, serious? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, kind of, so they can take off the clothes when they're hot. I'm like, very brilliant. Yeah. Can they strip down naked <laughs> and run around their office? Because that's probably what they feel like doing. Like, wow, that is sad. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and then you have other mindfulness studies that are not cancer oh, That's right, yeah. Well. We just started... I'm really interested in depression and my colleague um, and I got the pilot study going a few months ago to see if mindfulness or delivered in the same way using an app can help women with prenatal prenatal depression because that's also very, very common. Mm -hmm. And this is a population that 
avoid medication, right? And it's so common, yet doctors, again, have not, don't know what to do besides giving them antidepressant. Yeah. So if I wanted to do something with this population. I think when you have prenatal depression, the risk of having a postnatal depression is really high, much, oh, much higher. Yeah. And there's a lot of consequences, right? One, you know, like of depression around the time of pregnancy for parenting and, you know, health outcomes and so on. So I feel like that's a really good window of opportunity to yeah. help women with something that's so easy to. Because there are like support groups. But again, like if you're depressed and if you're pregnant, you really don't feel like going to those support groups. Right, right, right. I, I wouldn't want to go. So I'm like if I was given an option of doing something at home on an app versus going to a place and share, having to share like right. my feeling. I did a hypnobirthing class when I was pregnant. And the woman who, actually she's going to be on podcast soon, uh, <clears throat> she had guided relaxations that we could do at home. And it was like... it. Towards this, the end of my pregnancy when I was so uncomfortable mm. and really couldn't sleep. And really, I was, I was nervous about the birth. It saved me yeah. to be able to have someone else walk me through it <laughs> at home. Yeah, yeah. It's a stressful time. Like yeah, Even if you're not depressed, it's super no, it's, stressful. There's a lot of changes. Lots happening. of changes. A lot of anticipation. Like, right. And the fear. Yeah. And, yeah. So I, I feel like that time is a... So you'll do an app with with that population as well. You think? So we are doing it right now. It's, it's just started a few months ago. So hopefully it will be successful enough that we can start, you know, building up like I'm doing with cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And how do you? You have two daughters. Yes. Yourself. You have a busy job. You also teach yoga, right? Don't you? Yeah. How do you keep yourself <laughs> grounded and focused and not chaotic? Yeah, I get this question a lot and I think about this a lot too. I think the key, my the, I think the key is that I try to practice non-perfectionism. Mm. <laughs> I really totally happy being okay at doing my research and okay at teaching yoga and okay at being a mom. Uh-huh. I could be better, I'm sure, at everything, mm-hmm. but I don't really strive for it because I'm doing my best and that's all I can do and I'm fine with it and I think when I accepted that the stress went away Mm. and I do practice mindfulness in a way that I try not to think about future too much like I have a you know high level plans like I I have to plan my we do a lot of yoga retreats right and we I plan those things for the future but then I don't really worry like what if people didn't show up Uh you know what do I need to do to make this happen like in a very detailed way and with job too, like people are like, oh, are you not worried that you're going to run out of funding? Right. I'm like, I don't think about the future. I just do what I have to do right now. Mm-hmm. Because if I start thinking about this, I get freaked out. I really literally, like I would be like on a panic mode, right? right? So I have learned not to think about those potential consequences of something because mm-hmm. why, right? Like I will think about it when time comes. And I think this is exactly like the, yoga practice is helping me focus mm. and do just day by day I will do my best I will you know do whatever I need to do to take care of my two daughters and my job and I love and also I love doing all of them I love doing my research I love teaching you I just love teaching yoga 
so I enjoy them. I don't fear any of them as a burden. And that's a key too. That's I, a good I, I, yeah. thing to remind ourselves of. Like we love doing these things that we do. Yeah. So why not take pleasure in them <laughs> instead of borrowing trouble? I, I think at some point I, it was so much that I started to wonder like, why am I pushing myself so much? You know, then I would just set the boundary. Okay, I would reduce. I used to teach more yoga classes and I just reduced to three classes a week. And it's perfect. I have finally found <laughs> the best balance I don't want to teach any less or any more and it's just perfect and yeah. we do one or two international retreats and a few local retreats and it's just perfect and I'm really lucky because I teach retreat with my husband right yeah I was just thinking like if I had to leave the family to go teach retreat that's a stress yeah but it's kind of like a family project yeah that's so it's sweet. nice like mm-hmm. we can all like talk about like when should we go next time <laughs> that's cool we can plan and kids usually come to the retreat with us or all the students know them oh that's nice yeah they're used to this do whole you do them in the summer do you bring the, your kids or do you take them this out this time we are going to Greece in June next month and they're coming mm-hmm. um, we've gone to Japan we've gone to Mexico now that our oldest is uh, in middle school we can't just we used to take them out of school all the time but we can't do that anymore so we need to find destinations where we can do it during the summer break right winter break or spring break yeah yeah. I am gunning for Jason I'm gunning for an Italy retreat sometime in the near future because our daughter goes to an Italian immersion school and you know, she, I, so awesome. it's, I think she would love it so much to actually be there. And we now have friends from the school who go back in the summer. And so, yeah, no, we, we do go back to Japan. You used to always in summer and she would go, to, our kids would go to Japanese public school oh, like every year. So yeah. they have four immersion. It's great, but it's really hot in summer. Right. And I just don't enjoy Nobody yeah. enjoys like, it. Yeah. So it's, so, it's like New York City in uh-huh. summertime. So we are like... Let's go to Greece. <laughs> yeah, where there's so, like water. Yeah, yeah, so there's a balance. Like I want them to do this whole Japanese. They are totally bilingual at this oh, point. Good. So I'm That's not great. too worried about it. So I'm like, okay, let's not suffer. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. Living by your yeah, living by your philosophy. Right. There was one one thing that you said when you said I I accept that I'm okay at my job or okay at each thing that you do. And it reminded me of I can't remember I think the psychologist's name is Winnicott, who I I think it's Winnicott, who initially came up with the concept of the good enough mother, that you you don't have to be, you know, in in all of his psychological studies, he found that a mother only has to be, quote unquote, good enough Mm. in order to raise a healthy child. That it's not like at a certain point, you know, you want to strive for good enough, but then past that there, it doesn't seem to convey benefits. Yeah. It just depends on the child and right. it depends on their own experience of life. And it depends on the way they learn things. So the first few years of Sophia's life, I was just, it was really hard for me to feel so new at something and like so confused and wondering if I was doing the right thing all the time. And and then once I learned that, I come back to that all the time. Just like, I, I'm good enough. It's I think okay. earlier time, I was way more neurotic too. Like, you know, we had to feed only these kind of things. Yes. Like, no, never sugar. Never sugar, I know. <laughs> never soda. You know, like, then you're like, they get old and you get old and you're like, whatever. You know? I know, like, and they're just exposed to other like, kids and you're like, those kids are moderation, fine. you know, like, they don't eat these things every day. And right. even if they did, what's going to happen? You know, like, the stress that caused me is way more worse than you know, yeah. my health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, it's so good to talk to you. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you so much it's, for it's having so, me. It's so, so interesting to learn about the work that you're doing and I wish you all the best. Thank you it. so much. 
Thanks as always for listening. Thank you to Daniel Schaefer and Erica Rodefer Winters for helping me to produce this podcast. Jason has a few spots left in his advanced teacher training in San Francisco this summer. It's module three, and you can start the training with any module and you can complete the training in your own time over as many years as you'd like in any of the different cities where it's offered. It's currently offered in San Francisco, London, and Hong Kong. And you can find out more information by going to jasonyoga.com schedule, and then you can find the training that you're interested in the location and date that you're interested in. Okay, everyone, until next week, enjoy your practice. Mm-hmm.